This is Cruise Radio. Cruise Radio is brought to you in part by TripInsurance.com. Travel insurance done right by the people who know travel insurance. Get a quote today at TripInsurance.com. Broadcasting from the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida, this is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. Very happy to have you here. Going to do things a little bit different this week. Sherry Laskin will be back next week with Cruise News. Uh, If you do want to catch up on the news every day, Monday through Friday, Cruise Radio News. It's just opposite of this channel. Wherever you consume your favorite podcast, just search Cruise Radio News. And also taking it a step further, doing it in video form now. You can check those out every day as well. Monday through Friday, same schedule at the Cruise Radio YouTube channel. So I have Nancy Schreider with the Family Travel Network on the show with me this week. We're going to talk about the land cruise I did uh, last month and uh, what it was all about. And basically from A to Z, how it compares to a cruise and how it's a good option if you might not feel comfortable cruising right now. So Nancy, welcome to the show and it is all yours. All right. That's great. Well, you know, it's great talking to you about your road trip. I'm so interested in this. 2020 was the year of RV travel and that's expected to continue big time this year because road trips rule. And one RV and camper rental site saw a 4,500% increase in bookings last year. And according to multiple surveys, about 75% of RVers are planning to travel even more this year. So, you know, what you're doing is so important. With work and school going virtual, many people have been taking this opportunity in 2020 and 2021 to road school their kids or work from the road in their RV just like you did. I loved seeing your daily cruise radio news updates from your camper while you were traveling. So many of us are planning RV trips this summer, and there are a lot of us that are also really interested in just learning about your RV experiences and what a 20-day RV road trip like yours is really like. So can you start off by telling us a little bit about your trip? Yeah. So I do want to say, first off, uh, well, first off, thank you for being here and doing this. And secondly, I'm a cruiser at heart, okay? So I did this because we couldn't cruise, and I was just going stir-crazy, so... I said, you know what, I'm going to take my cruise budget and I'm going to blow it on the road. And that's what I did. (laughs) So I, uh, but yeah, this was a 20 day trip. This trip was heading out 2,100, almost 2,200 miles from Jacksonville. So it was going out to Boulder City, Nevada with stops on the way back to Grand Canyon and the Petrified National Forest. My buddies live in Salt Lake City. I go out there skiing every couple of weeks in the wintertime. And he was like, hey, we're heading down to Nevada to do Valley of Fire State Park. If you want to go hike it with us, you don't have to tell me twice. And this is like a week before their very last minute too, right? They're my age and she's a nurse and he has a Monday through Friday job, but can take extra days off. So I was like, you know what? A week away, I'm down. So I scrambled and, uh, uh, you know, here we go. We're on this 20 night trip. That's awesome. So what kind of RV do you have? I have a 22 foot travel light Falcon is the, I guess, the make. And okay. it's it ha- it's one of those campers that have, I tow it behind my truck. I have a Toyota Tacoma and it has one of the, a slider. So you see like the RVs, whether you drive it or you tow it behind your truck, they have the little pop-outs. Yeah. That's what mine has on the, I guess you'd consider it the driver's side, it has a four foot pop-out. So my kitchen actually comes out four feet um, and it actually turns into a bed. Um, I had a, a buddy fly in for like four nights um, to do part of the trip with me, and we actually converted the kitchen part into a bed for him at nighttime. So 
it works out really good. You know, you're not crammed through anything. And it's a perfect size for me, which is one thing you should really do before you decide to do one of these things. Make sure that you are in the right model for you and your family. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, and thinking about that for somebody like me, is is a camper like that easy to pull behind? And and do you have to have a a truck to drive and, and pull it behind? Or can you use a car? Or how does that work? Yeah, so I would probably steer away from trying to use a car or even some SUVs. Like my camper weighs 2,900 pounds and then loaded is 4,100. So we're talking 4,000 pounds. My truck can pull 7,000. So I had some wiggle room there. But yeah, most trucks can do between 5,000 and 10,000 pounds. So it's best to have a truck. You can do it with an SUV, and I've seen it with an SUV. Boy, it could get squirrely going down a hill and with the brake action and everything if you have an SUV. You mentioned that you had a buddy with you, and, and you managed to do this with, without a problem. How does somebody decide what size camper to get for you know, a couple or themselves or their family? You know, how do you figure that out? I think it depends on what your needs are, right? Kind of like booking a cruise stateroom. Like, do you want a balcony or do you want a his and her sink in your bathroom? You'd probably get a suite. You know, things like that. You want to think about what kind of traveler you are. Can I deal with a wet bath, which is basically the shower and the toilet in one little space or like a closet size? Or do I want a separate commode, shower and sink all in one space with more storage you have to see what your wants and needs are and then kind of evaluate that. And then you can go and look and see what you you want to do. And then you probably, I mean, if, if it was like a first time doing it, you might want to go like to your local camping world or RV dealer just to scope some out and see, hey, we could deal with this or, hey, this is a little too big. We need to go smaller or we need to go larger. That's a really good suggestion. And you mentioned RV share and outdoorsy. So those are places that somebody could go if they don't own an RV or camper, they could go there and rent a camper. Any suggestions about doing that or how far in advance or anything else? So I've personally have never done it, but I will say I have friends who have done it before and it's like an Airbnb. So you're basically, you're renting someone's private camper and taking it. So you're going to have to have a deposit. Some require like a thousand dollar deposit And then if you bring it back spotless, you get that $1,000 back. You know, if you bring it back and you don't empty out the septic tanks or whatever on board, they could charge you a $250 dump fee, you know, so you have to read the fine print on these, but that's really the best way to go. Um, You could also do a company like RV America, I think it's called, or Cruising America, something like that. Cruising America, right. Yeah, where you can rent one of those and take off with it. Those are more like the driving ones. They're not not the pull behinds. You drive those. So those would be a little less efficient on the fuel. That's perfect. You know, you mentioned how long this trip was, and that's a lot of miles. What are some of the most important things in planning an RV trip itinerary? Like for families, it's definitely going to be important to figure out how much you want to be driving, how long you want to stay in the same place, you know, how long your kids can stand doing this. Are there any trip planner apps that you would use? Or what are some of the things that are important in planning an RV trip itinerary like yours? Yeah. So I swear by, it's called Road Tripper. Okay. And it lets you put your starting point, your destination. It even lets you add routes. Like say I wanted to go from here to Boulder City, but I wanted to stop at the Grand Canyon first. It lets you add different legs to your trip. You can do filters too, right? So you can do, okay, I want to know where all the campsites are on the routes going out to Boulder City, or I want to know where all the gas stations are or off-the-road diners that aren't franchises. 
Got so it. I, I love Road Trippers, and I think I have a premium membership for it. Uh, you know, you buy memberships for everything, so you don't really know. But it's like I can right. do a lot of cool things. But there's also the free version is very cool and very basic, and it's super intuitive. You can use it on your iPhone, your iPad, or even desktop. I tend to use the desktop more, but that's just a personal preference. Does Road Tripper throw in weather as well? Because I would assume that would be something that you'd want to watch for as you're on your way, or do you need to do that separately? So I think you probably have to do that separately. If the feature is there, and it might be, I've never used it before. But I will say, and speaking of that, when I was driving out there, I was going through Flagstaff, Arizona on the way to Nevada. And I checked my weather. I checked the 10-day forecast for every city I had to drive through, major city, to kind of see what it would be like. Because I'm a Floridian. I've never driven in the snow before. And I'm pulling a 4,100-pound camper behind me. You know, if you don't know what you're doing, it can make for a pretty squirrely <laughs> drive, right? So I, I'm i in, where am I? I'm in New Mexico, like Albuquerque at Best Buy, buying a cord. And Sherry Laskin texts me and she's like, heads up, there's a crazy storm coming through Flagstaff. You said you were going wow. through there. And I'm like, there's no way. It said it was going to be a high of 55. <laughs> so I get on the road. And I get a weather alert. And you know, it's like one of those local or state weather alerts where your phone makes a really high-pitched sound. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I got that. Fine. Like where the like phone... tornado coming or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Where the phone makes a really loud, like high-pitched sound. And it was a winter weather advisory telling you that uh, a lot of snow is coming. So I'm like, holy crap, what am I about to drive into? <laughs> so I'm thinking if I really gun it, I can get through here. I'll be fine. Yeah. Bad idea. <laughs> I get into Arizona, 40 miles outside of Flagstaff, the bottom drops out. Just instantaneously? All of a sudden it just... It's like I I go over a a hill where it's beautiful, mind you, and then I go into this convergence zone where these two storms are meeting each other, and then, wow, craziness, like just madness. The temperature starts dropping, and then it gets dark, and then the snow starts. And at this point, I'm like 20 miles outside of Flagstaff. So I call my buddy in Utah because he has the same truck as mine at Tacoma Off-Road, about four-wheel drive. I've never had to use it before. I'm yeah. like, Jimmy, what do I do? Blah, blah, blah. My truck's getting a little squirrely on me. He's like, well, just put it into four high and you'll be good. Just slow down to like 15. You could lock it in while you're driving. So I locked it in and followed the truck to the pilot gas station. And there I stayed. Thank um, goodness. That, so if it wasn't for the semi, I would have been screwed. He was my North Star. Right. Like, I followed right. him. We were going 15 miles an hour. So it took us like 45 minutes to go 10 miles or so just because wow. I was freaking out. So I wound up parking my camper underneath the gas sign at the Flying J and staying there <laughs> for like 14 hours because they closed the interstate down. They closed 40 down temporarily until the plows could come out in the morning. And so I slept for like five hours or so going outside, expecting to you know fire my truck up and go. Truck is buried in snow. I step out of my camper wow. and the snow was up to my knee. I'm like, wow. uh-oh. This is going to be fun. So I had to take the dustpan out of my, out of my <laughs> camper because I'm not, I'm not used to snow. I mean, maybe you are, but I had to actually yeah. use the dustpan to get like to chip the ice off my windshield of my truck. Oh my gosh! So I was I used the Flying J to take a shower, and I was talking to one yeah. of the uh, the truck drivers in the, lo- the waiting room kind of, kind of thing, and he's like, "Yeah, they're about to open up 40, and it should be good and plowed." I'm like, "Well, hey, I'm from Florida. Never have done this before." He's like, "He's like, dude, once you." get out of this elevation because we're at like 7,000 feet. Once you get down to like 4,000, it's going to be like there was never even a snowstorm. Sure enough, it took me about 30 minutes, 45 minutes to get onto 40 and get out of it. And he wasn't lying. I came out of the mountain range 
and boom, blue skies. It looked like Florida weather again. You couldn't even tell snow even fell five miles behind me. Wow. Yeah, so that was all that to say weather is a very important thing to check. I checked it from Oklahoma City where I left that morning, and it changed that quickly. Did that mess up any of your reservations? Because I was just trying to think of what kinds of reservations you need to make on an RV trip and how far in advance. And if you hit weather like that, then how does that shift things? I am probably not the normal traveler. Like I have a destination (laughs) in mind. And then my plans are very loose. I knew I had to be at the campground in Henderson. I'm saying Boulder City, but it's like Boulder City, Henderson. We hiked all around there. But anyway, I know I had to be there on March 12th. So I could drive a thousand miles in a day or 10 miles. As long as I was there by the 12th, that's all that mattered to me. So if I wanted a campground, I'd book a spot uh, at the KOA on their app on the fly. Okay. And if I want to keep driving until I get tired, I'll find a Love's truck stop or a Flying J or a Pilot or a Travel America who has RV slots. And I'll just park there for a few hours. I'll never go into the back where the semis park because those guys, they have a hard stop. Uh, after 11 hours or whatever it is, if their engine isn't off, if they're still rolling, they get fined. But I will go to a dedicated RV spot because my camper is self-sufficient. I have the water, the water pump, the battery, the propane for the furnace, all of that stuff. So I don't need electricity and I can just keep it hooked to my truck the whole time. Right. But if you have a place you need to be, like if you want to go to the Grand Canyon and you want a campground there, book that way in advance and try like heck to make that deadline because a lot of people are going to the national parks this year. Yeah, and it's really crazy now. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask about the reservations and your information on Flying J and some of the others is really good because there are a bunch of places all across the country, but definitely around where the national parks are and popular spots where they're already sold out for the summer. So it's really good for people to know where some of these other places are. So, you know, if they can't find something or if they have something and for whatever reason something happens, like with what happened with you and there's a weather issue or something happens with their camper and they can't get there, where else can they go as a backup? And so it's really good to know about those kinds of spots. That's really great. One other thing I want to add, Nancy, if I could, is uh, if you're going to, let's just say the Grand Canyon as an example, because that's where I was. If you don't have the America the Beautiful National Parks Pass, um, I have that. It's like 80 bucks for the year. But if you don't have that and you only want to go for a day or two or whatnot, make sure you buy your reservations in advance, your tickets in advance, because they are capping and they are, they are putting the parks at some type of capacity. That's liable to change as things get better. But for now, you're safer just buying your tickets in advance and showing them your QR code once you get to the, the booth. Right. And then just stay, as you said, staying up to date on what's happening because some of the parks like Yellowstone are continuing to move back their you know, opening dates and things like that. So it's, mm-hmm. it's just really important to know you know, what's going on. And in terms of of campgrounds, how did you choose your campgrounds and how were they handling COVID? I personally, and call me basic, but I just use KOA. It's going into like a, let's say a holiday in hotel. You kind of know what to expect, though every property is different. So you're going to have bathing facilities, an outdoor kitchen, a fire pit, hookups, whether it be a 30 amp, a 50 amp, sewage hookup, water hookup, Everything's kind of templated in the same from location to location, and I'm comfortable with that. So I stick with KOA, and they're pretty much open across the board with their facilities. I also use Allstays app, and it's a free app you can download, and it shows you campsites near where you are. In fact, we were got delayed coming back from the Grand Canyon to Dallas, or to Amarillo, rather, and 
we had to actually use the app because there was no KOAs around us. It was getting dark. It was starting to get icy. And so mm. we just found a random campground that had online bookings. I mean, we didn't interact with anyone because we got there so late and their office was closed, but we picked out our spot on their website. We paid on their website and picked Space 25, stayed there for eight hours, and boom, the next morning we were gone. And for families too, there I'm sure there are ways that you can check what amenities they have and you know, whether they're kids' playground kind of stuff or, or whatever. When you're picking a spot at a campground, you mentioned, you know, you, you pick spot 25 or whatever. Is there anything to look for in particular, or do you just sort of pick a random spot and go from there? As far as the amenities, they're, the website lists everything they do have there, and then you have to kind of customize, or they're going to put you in a spot depending on how big your camper is or your RV. Like mine's 22 feet, and I have a slider, so I was in a little bigger spot than a smaller one or you know a campsite or anything like that. So the order form is very um, asks you a lot of questions like that, and then they kind of assign you based on your qualifications. Great. So that's really helpful. And how are the national parks handling COVID? Were there any unusual rules or anything people should know? You know, every place has been different. I know in Grand Canyon, they didn't have any of the, like the welcome centers open. And Ah, they had, you know, they have those big catalogs. You can get kind of the souvenirs were just outside of there in big boxes. You can just take one and walk away with it. So that wasn't open, but they did actually have a bunch of maps outside, kind of like you are here or minutes to walk to this trailhead or whatnot. They were all outside and very detailed. There was a ranger walking around answering questions outside. They have the shuttle system working there to take you to different trailheads and parts of the park, but there was like social distance and limited people. We didn't get on any of the buses. We just drove everywhere. So yeah, just with uh, the Grand Canyon, only the, I think the water fountains were closed and then the uh, Welcome Center was closed. And then the next uh, national park was the Petrified National Park and that was actually open. And that's more of a driving park anyway. You start at the north or the south, and it's like 20-something miles um, straight road that goes all the way through it. So not a lot of interaction there, and it's in the middle of the desert anyway. So that was pretty much business as usual because, because you don't have a lot of interaction there. It's all, mostly all – it's a desert for one, and it's massive and a lot of petrified elements. Right. One of the things I really want to talk to you about is just budgeting for a trip like this. Besides the cost of, you know, renting an RV or owning an RV, what other costs are involved in taking a trip like this? You're going to need your three Fs, your fuel money, your food money, and your fun money. And of course, I take a credit card just for incidentals. God forbid something crazy were to happen on the road and roadside wouldn't cover it or I needed a $3,000 part. But if you want to get down to like the nitty gritty here, so for 4,200 miles, I did spend $1,800 in gas, which I totally expected that because I'm towing a 4,000 pound camper behind me and I was in a mountainous region at some point. So the truck had to work overtime and putting in some extra horsepower really sucked the fuel. But you'll also want to factor in campsites where you want to stay at night, things like that, like any other road trip you want to take. And also think about exploring off the interstate, too. So you might want to take a couple extra dollars to eat at a couple of diners off of Route 66. That's what we did. And, of course, your essentials, like if you had to get something from a Walmart or a Target or a Sam's Club, just make a stop there and uh, get what you need and go on. But if you're looking for a price tag on what I actually budgeted versus what I spent, uh, I budgeted $5,000. Of course, I said 1800 was in fuel. Uh, I probably only spent half of that. We did national parks, and I had the national park pass. So that saved um, a per-day entrance fee to where we went. And then 
Let's see. What else was there? There was the campsites, which were like the one in Nevada was $25 a night. I did a lot of nights in the truck stops, rest areas, things like that. Again, I'm kind of the nomadic traveler, so you'd want to budget a little bit more if you want uh, stability for the evening. But me, I'm cool with doing whatever, as long as I can have a horizontal sleeping platform for five to eight hours. Right. The most expensive part of my trip was going into Vegas and having um, drinks there for a couple of nights. Other than that, though, yeah, I mean, cooked a lot, things like that. So uh, we saved money where we could, and we, we dang sure did. Right. Well, that's understandable. You would sort of expect that that might be what it is. But, you know, $5,000 for a 20-day trip, that's really great. I mean, and you didn't even come close to that number. Are there any unexpected things that people should just sort of prepare for or keep in mind, you know, and keep sort of a stash of budget for just in case something like this unexpected thing might happen? Be kind of flexible, right? Like, you know, give yourself an extra day. Um, A lot of the campsites have a 24-hour cancellation policy. So let's just say the blizzard thing happened and you were waylaid in Flagstaff for a day. Then you could call the the KOA and say, hey, we're supposed to be there tomorrow, but we can't because we're stuck in a blizzard. Um, Can we bump our reservation or whatever? And KOAs, I mean, I've always had great experiences with them. I mean, I even left a site early one night because we were like not even tired. I'm like, let's just drive for like six hours and see where it takes us. And yeah. they even ref- I was already there, like, I think I pulled out at like 8 o'clock at night. And I'm like, you don't have to refund me. Oh, don't be silly. You're not staying the night here. You're not using our stuff for the night. But I'm like, wow. yeah, but I've been here for eight hours already using your power and water and everything. She's like, we're just going to refund you. I'm like, okay, nice. So pad some time into your trip because you never know what you're going to hit. Summertime, you're not going to hit a blizzard, maybe. I don't know. I mean, stranger things have happened. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think... You know, think about like propane too. If you're going to do some grilling or cooking, or if you're if the furnace is going to you know require propane, like you might want to think about that as well. The consumption of you know if you have one bottle, two bottles, you know we're the closest to get a refill. Things like that. At the national parks that you went to, were there any sort of add-on experiences that you booked or that people could book that would be important to budget for or would be important to reserve? Yeah, so like I can just say, speak for the Grand Canyon, just outside of the Grand Canyon, like outside of the the park gates, whatever you want to call it, there's that little village, and there's like helicopter tours, there's guided tours, there's rafting in the Colorado River, there's all kind of experiences you can book outside of the Grand Canyon, and they all have, they have permits to go inside and take you to these places. We didn't personally do any of them, because I'm I'm a hiker myself, so we did all-day hiking, but... I want to go back and I want to do the helicopter ride. That looked really cool. And I would have done it this trip, but it was booked up. And he said it was booked up for like three weeks. So I'm like, okay, so maybe next time I'll make reservations in advance. But that's the thing. Going back to what you were saying earlier, again, is that everyone's hitting the road and these places are seeing like this this unprecedented growth. And it's not only just road trips that are in in demand this year. It's outdoor-oriented places and national parks and just – that's where a ton of people are going this year. And, you know, last year was big, but this year is just blowout as far as that goes. So it's one of these things where if you're thinking of any of, you know, geez, I might like to do this at some point this summer, this fall, really any time this year, it's a good idea to just go ahead and start planning that out and and booking it now. So that's a great thing to do. What are some of the most memorable highlights of your trip? You had an incredible sort of epic trip here. 
You know this about me, Nancy. I love to eat. So this might sound a little bit silly here. I'm also really active to kind of counterbalance that. But I bought a flat top grill from Sam's before I went out there. And I ordered a bunch of stuff from Waffle House, like their waffle batter, um, their potatoes, their grits. We brought eggs and bacon. So we had these amazing breakfast feasts every morning. It was just kind of fun. You know, we're sitting around the campfire or around the, the grill, rather, and uh, drinking coffee and cooking and just kind of shooting the breeze and laughing. So that was probably one highlight. Yeah. Um, and at dinner time, at lunch, we just pack like a protein type lunch to take out hiking with us, put it in our backpack, you know, oranges, meats, cheeses, lots of water, things like that. And then for dinner time, it was on like we did like shrimp tacos, steaks on the grill. We did teppanyaki, all kind of just um, I think we did uh, cheese stuffed hamburgers one night. I don't know, just a good time and a lot of great memories. That's what it's all about. It is. And, you know, so many memories, you know, if you think even of cruising, so many memories are around food mm-hmm. and around eating together and enjoying that together. And in, in this case, you know, you're doing it in a way that's really memorable and unusual. And, and so that's really great. That's something you won't forget. I mean, I think that it's like, you know, the greatest thing you could give someone is a positive memory, right? And that's, absolutely that's true. when we were like sitting around the fire, just whether it be just flipping flipping beer caps or whatever, like just in the laughs and all that stuff, like things you'll never forget or how your side was hurting from laughing. And, you know, <laughs> all that really cost was the food that we had to buy. Like there was no, you know, expensive ticket for that and $25 a night at the RV resort. But if we're talking about actual experiences outside of the campsite, I would say Grand Canyon. Wow. I mean, just standing there. Yeah. What, if you ever doubt that there's a higher power than you, a creator, I challenge you to go stand at the Grand Canyon and just marvel at the beauty because there's, it almost looks like, and I, I kept saying this, and I said also said this about Yellowstone, it doesn't look real. It looks like Walt Disney and his Imagineers created this. I was standing there just kind of gazing at this horizon. My buddy was like, are you ready to go? And he's like, yo, you there? And I was, I was out of it. I was just, my mouth was open and I, I couldn't believe what I was looking at. Right. It's perfection yeah. in a situation that, you know, you just unimaginable. If I could compare it to cruising, it's, I would compare it to sailing into or out of San Juan, Puerto Rico or Venice or the glaciers in Alaska where you're just in the moment and you don't want it to end. Vegas was a big highlight for me. My first time there, and I'll tell you, Nancy, I didn't spend a dime in the casino. Um, but I spent a lot of time <laughs> marveling at the architecture. And, you know, speaking of Venice, they have the gondolas in the canal there at the Venetian in that one hotel next door uh, where the shops are. New York, New York, it reminded me a lot of walking down the promenade on a Carnival Cruise Line ship. Um, at Mandalay Bay, it reminded me of the Esplanade on Royal Caribbean ships. A lot of things ran parallel for me. So aside from making me miss cruising, it really brought attention to the fact that there are there's so much out here in our country that I haven't seen yet. And this was a good time to see it. Right. And that's what's happening with people. You know, last year and this year, people are sort of rediscovering America again and rediscovering places that they can go even, you know, an hour or two from home again. And, you know, falling in love with America and America's Mm -hmm. destinations and the beauty of where they live and some of the most beautiful places. And when you were talking about memories that trigger cruising sort of memories, to me, sometimes sitting out in front of a, a campfire at night 
and just sort of looking up at the sky and mm-hmm. just sort of being in that moment as you talk about always reminds me of, you know, sitting out on a cruise ship on the deck, you know, sometimes at night just looking off the back of the ship and just watching sort of the, the water and the waves and just sort of feeling how beautiful it is. And that's one thing. It's like-mindedness. So whether you're on a cruise or you're hiking the Grand Canyon or Valley of Fire State Park or kayaking the Colorado River, it doesn't matter where you stand with politics or social issues. All those places I just mentioned, everyone is there for the experience, and that's all. It's so true, and there's this sense of sort of shared oneness Mm -hmm. when you're in a space like that, because... You know, when you're on board a ship, most of the people that are on ships also love cruising. Yeah. And when you're outdoors, at, you know, most people, they love being outdoors together. And there's this, this sense of shared experience and shared oneness that's really important and just so great. So I'm glad you had that. I know there are a bunch of families and travelers who are, you know, listening to you and even maybe even before this, just planning about, geez, wouldn't it be nice to go on an RV trip and maybe just starting to look into it now. Is there anything that you wish you had known before you took this trip? Probably to pack methodically, right? So I have this system I do, and five nights leading up to the trip, I spend each night, I clear the schedule, I make sure I'm out of the studio by like six o'clock, and I'll focus on bath and linens one night. I'll focus on kitchen stuff one night. I'll focus on hiking one night and just normal clothes the next night and make sure I have everything. And I just check, 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 check. And then as I go on, I'm like, do I really need these 15 shirts? And it really helped me out because on my trip to Yellowstone, I overpacked way too much. And um, (laughs) I I learned a lot of lessons there. So, and it's like, but also think about what you're going to need. Say you're packing your kitchen stuff up. We like to make jello shots, so we're going to need a measuring cup. So make sure you have what you – well, you can always freehand it, but, I mean, still. I mean, you know, think of what you're making, what you're going to need, and then uh, evaluate from there. Also, bath and linens. There's nothing worse than having to use a towel to dry the floor, and then you don't have a towel to dry off with or something like that. <laughs> so true. Yeah. And when you were talking about it, it sort of reminds me about, you know, pack and carry on for a – uh, you know, a, a long cruise. It's sort of you sit there. It's such a smart idea to do that, you mm-hmm. know, for a couple nights before you leave because you're always trying to make sure how can I pack, carry on, and get a lot of stuff into a small amount of space. So exactly. similar, but in your case, you've got all the linens and bath stuff and everything else to worry about too. You were talking about this long drive, especially for families or you know anybody else. Is it worth it to drive your own camper that far away, or maybe should some families or others maybe? fly to a certain spot and then rent a camper or what would you recommend? It's all about the experience, right? So I think that if you were going to rent a camper, it might be a better experience to rent one by your house and then do just go all out and do the road trip. Go out to Yellowstone or go up to Maine or travel US1 from north to south and just kind of do that thing. On the other hand, if you travel light, what's stopping you from flying into Salt Lake City and renting a 
you know, a camper there and doing the circuit. There's like five state parks, I believe, around the area within eight hours. I'm trying to answer your question probably without answering your question, but it depends what kind of family you are and how you pack and everything. A lot of factors to take into consideration. Or if you're a tent camper, rent some camping gear at your destination and get a Suburban or a Tahoe and trek your way around the parks. Yeah, that's a really good point because, you know, one of the things I was thinking about is let's say that you wanted to um, you want to do a, a cross-country road trip. And, you know, is it worth it to fly out to, like, I don't know, St. Louis or something and then drive from there? Or is it worth it to fly to Salt Lake City, pick up, a you know, an RV or camper and then make the, you know, drive down to all the national parks down around that area rather than driving all the way from, let's say, Washington, D.C., all the way out there? What are some of the most important things you packed for your trip and maybe a few things that you wish you'd brought or wish you'd left at home? Depending on what you're doing, for me, since this was a hiking trip, hiking pants, breathable ones, minor convertibles, so they have zippers that they turn into shorts. They're more like capris, but, you know, a hiking backpack. I have a, a camelback, uh, a bag I put in with, you know, fill my water up with so I don't go thirsty on the trail you know, load your snacks up, things like that, that you don't typically think of because you're, you may live in the city and, oh yeah. And also very comfortable hiking shoes or boots. And it's really important on those things. I always tell people, make sure you buy them pretty far in advance so you can break them in because a lot of times people think about it at the last minute and they pick up their hiking boots, you know, two days before they go. And then you're hiking around and they're not broken in and they end up with blisters and yeah. find out that stuff doesn't fit very well. And it turns into a hot mess. Yeah, just like a pair of Justin boots. If you don't break them in like a good three weeks before, yeah, those puppies are barking. Now that, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, when you're talking about cruises, you know, I've talked to a lot of people and they say, you know, an RV trip is like cruising on land. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's right? And What's the same? What's different? What do you, how would you kind of compare and contrast those? Uh, I think it's 100%. And that's, I think that is what has drawn me to getting the camper last year and just going out and exploring because it's that freedom, right? Like you can do whatever you want to. You're on no one's schedule. Every day, if you want to be, you could be somewhere different. We were in Boulder City, Nevada one day, then the Grand Canyon the next, and then the Petrified right. Forest, and then Amarillo, Texas, then Dallas, like at a different place every day. And that really resonates with me because it's like a cruise. When you're on a seven-night Caribbean cruise, you're going to four or five different ports of call in seven days. Just mine was 20 days and I did probably 15 ports of call. <laughs> I think that's an important part. And I think when you have your own RV or camper, you're also in a lot more control than you are if you have to worry about renting a hotel someplace or doing whatever, because it's a space that you control and you sort of, you own or it's yours. And it's sort of like a self-contained bubble. And I know, you know, last year and even this year, what people were looking for was sort of vacation bubbles. And an RV or camper provides the perfect vacation bubble, and it just sort of floats everywhere. So that sense of, of freedom and adventure is really important. You've described it perfectly. I do want to clarify, I don't want to crap on tent camping, because if I didn't travel with 
a lot of gear. So we're talking about cameras and things like that, computers to do the show on the road. I would totally tent camp. In fact, it would probably have saved me about $1,000 in fuel if I tent camped instead of pulling a 4,000-pound camper behind me. Yeah, no, and that that's really good to know, especially if somebody doesn't own one of these and they're thinking, well, hey, could I could I just camp or do I really need to rent an RV or camper? And what you're saying is, you know, know the kind of person you are and, you know, camping would be perfect and you don't necessarily have to rent an RV or camper in order to have a great time doing this. Another thing we'll do too, Nancy, is, uh, and just like to save money as well, is to get one space for my camper and a tent site next to my space so my buddies stay in their tent and use my place as a home base. So whether it be the shower, the restroom, the refrigerator, anything power, charging phones, all in my camper, and then they sleep in the tent. See, and that's a really great point for people who are thinking about multifamily trips or Mm -hmm. multi-gen trips and doing this because then everybody can get together and do this and you can use one place, as you were saying, like a home base and have people who are more comfortable being in an RV or a camper there and let other people camp and everybody can still be together. And that's fantastic. You know me, Nancy, I'll always fly under the flag of cruising, but I am so glad that I was introduced to this whole other part of travel while the industry has been shut down. And it, it worked out perfectly. So what, what do you think is the best thing about having an RV or a camper or going camping? You mentioned the sort of freedom, sense of adventure, independence. How would you encapsulate like, what is the most epic thing about doing this? Someone asked my uncle a few years ago what his definition of freedom was, and he said to come and go as one pleases. And that's exactly what this is to me. That's fantastic, Doug. And I've got to say, over the past year, that sense of freedom is something that a lot of us have been craving and missing. So hearing you talk about this is, you know, it's certainly making me want to go out and do this more. And I think it is doing the same for others as well. It's All of us need to get out there and have those epic experiences that you talked about, about, you know, standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and just, you know, seeing everything that this beautiful country has to offer. Yeah. So thanks for sharing that. There's also the whole mental health side of all of this that not a lot of people like to talk about, and I'm probably not the one or good to talk about it. But, you know, when this happened, like for the past, let's just say 14 months at this point, 13 months. Early on in the game, my head went to some weird places. I don't know about you. I'm not saying like anything crazy, but so much uncertainty and friends who have been with companies for decades getting laid off. It was just a really, really weird time. So to be able to go out and do this land cruise, as you called it earlier, has really been helpful to my mental health through all this. And that's such an important thing to talk about because all of us have had difficult experiences, you know, in this year, you know, watching people we love get sick, you know, some have passed away, people have lost their jobs, it's really difficult. And, you know, you can look in the rearview mirror and say it's been hard, but reentry is also going to be tough as well. I mean, a lot of people have been closeted away from people for a long period of time and they've sort of getting back into what's it like to be out there with a bunch of people again. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into that as well. So just this chance to get out there and 
sort of free your mind. Mm. Um, you know, as they say, free your mind and the rest will follow. It's yeah. really true. When the world opens back up, it's going to be like Las Vegas 24-7 for a little while. We're not going to know what to do with ourselves. Going to concerts, going to ball games, going to music <laughs> festivals, getting crazy. It'll be a good time. I can't wait for it to happen. Definitely. It'll be a wild ride, mm-hmm. but we're looking forward to it. So thanks so much. This has been great learning about your trip and just sort of getting out there and what it's like and Looking forward to doing that more myself. Awesome, Nancy. Well, thank you so much for, um, you know, I don't, I'm not one to ever talk about myself, so I would never sit here and talk about my trip or anything like that. But so I'm, I'm, I'm glad you got this out of me because a lot of listeners have been asking about it and wanted me to talk about it. But I just, I'm always weird when it comes to, I guess, attention on myself. So I really appreciate you doing this. No, it, it's really important, Doug, because a lot of people want to do this, but it's the toe dip that's hard. It's, mm-hmm. you want to do it, but it's this feeling of what's it really like and being able to ask these questions and then saying, okay, now I know enough that I feel comfortable dipping my toe in RVing or camping or whatever. And so the information that you provided is really wonderful. So thank you. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. The world is constantly changing. Your place for news is still the same. Online and on demand at cruiseradio.net. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.